Hello and welcome to episode 88 of the Startcast, Press Start Australia's weekly video game discussion podcast. I'm your host, Ewan Roxburgh, and I'm joined today by my fellow gamer, Seamus. Yo, yo, thank you for having me on again. Did you nearly forget that that's how we did the intro? Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> you're forgiven because it is so damn hot. So I am melting hot. away in front of my computer right now. Do you have any... What's it like in Adelaide? Is it uh, super hot there as well? It's like 40 plus degrees right now. No... That's hot. That's yeah. that's very hot. Very I was nearly hot. I was nearly swearing there, nearly creating a story <laughs> for myself. I'm trying to find out how hot it is here. I don't think it's 40 degrees, but yeah, it's only 24 here. That's wow. I'm calling I'm calling a lie on that one. It's nowhere near that. I mean, I mean, it's got to be hotter than that, surely. Surely, it's only it's only get worse this week. <laughs> the humidity is at 70 percent as well, which is holy pretty high. crap. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. We just had a pretty hot weekend as well up in uh, up in Sydney. Yeah, my God, it was so humid in Sydney. <laughs> yeah, wasn't it just? I, I feel sorry for all the Americans there that may not have been used to that heat. Um, but how are you recovering? You uh, you rested up after what a an crazy weekend it was? Yeah, yeah, good. I Well, my flight was delayed on the way back. And, mm. But when I got back, though, I was just so tired. I just like had a massive nap and I'm still catching up on sleep now because it was such a... Such a hectic and just tiring weekend, but it was just because we were just busy all day. There was just so much to do. Yeah, yeah. I've certainly been sleeping solid, solidly too. But uh, yeah, that weather on our final day was like insane. My was God, it? It was. Yeah. The, was it the weather that delayed your flight? Just because there was like torrential rain, like buildings collapsing yeah. in Sydney, stuff like it, that. Yeah, there was a couple of things. There was like technical difficulty difficulties with the plane, and then like a storm mm. came up, like lightning and stuff, as we were boarding. So we had to stop for like another hour or two just to wait for yeah, the rain right. to clean up. Damn, I thought it was hilarious that Isaac, who who we were staying with, his flight was scheduled to depart before mine, like four hours <laughs> before my flight, and I ended up getting home like four hours before him. Wow! Um, just that, yeah, just the way that like the delays worked. Because you did you fly Tiger as well? Yeah, I flew Tiger. Yeah. yeah, I think for some reason like the Tiger flight seemed particularly affected. Um, but hey, they stayed in the air, so that's the main thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, on the show this week, we'll be discussing Hideo Kojima and E3 2017. But first, Seamus, let's talk about the weekend that was RTX in the 2017. Um, what what was your take on the entire weekend? We did like a little rap video that you can see on Facebook and YouTube um, of, of the first day. Um, but what was your sort of summary of the entire weekend and your thoughts on it? Well, it was my first time going to an RTX. Was this your first time at RTX it was. as well? Yeah, 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 my first time too. And like, I've been to Abcon heaps of times. I've been to PAX a couple of times, and they've got a general vibe of there's just they're just big. There's just so much to do, mm. and there's lots of very. I, sh- I should interests. say, like, this was the only the second RTX, so we've yeah. only missed the one. <laughs> like, fifty percent's not bad. Yeah, no, we're, we've got a pretty good track record so far. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But Sorry, regard- go on. Yeah, but in regards to PAX, it's just there's just so many different things. Like, everyone's there for different reasons. Whether it's for like uh, tabletop. Mm gaming card games uh AAA games hardware indie games panels like there's just so many things at pax but with rtx it still has a lot of those things but it's the focus is very much on the community and it's very much on the community coming together to be able to meet and celebrate uh the content creators that they really look up to and well their favorite content creators which is rooster teeth in this case hmm yeah, I thought I, I, I shared I I share the same sort of sentiment with you. I just thought that the vibe and the atmosphere there was just was really, really great. Um, really enthusiastic, really uh, excited and it was just like just felt really great to sort of be in the presence of everyone there, like see everyone wearing the same sort of rooster teeth shirts and whatnot. Um 
So it just kind of gives you like a good a good feeling being in the same room with everyone. Yeah, it was um, awesome to be able to just see kind of people wearing kind of funny shirts and go up to them and be like, hey, how's it going? Like, where are you from? And like have that initial connection like straight away. Yeah, like meeting other members of communities that you're also a fan of. Yeah, that was like so, so cool. Um, I thought like what was actually kind of on the floor was like relatively light compared to shows like PAX, let's say. Um, you know, the, I, there, was, there wasn't like a huge kind of uh, uh, publisher presence there, I guess. Um, no, it but was much what, smaller. What, yeah, it was. It was a lot smaller. The floor space was smaller, um, but it wasn't short in entertainment. Like, I mean, if if you wanted to queue up uh, to get into the Nintendo booth, there was heaps on offer there. Um, there was an excellent assortment of indie games as well. We're going to be talking about those in a little bit more detail uh, in a video, and you know, maybe we'll make uh, make some time for that this episode as well. Um, but uh, like, if you wanted to do some things on the floor, there was there was enough to do, um, and the panels as well was like were major draw cards i guess like there was always something entertaining happening on stage um with you know personalities uh from rooster teeth funhouse kind of funny etc that you would recognize and and uh, you know there was something to something to laugh at constantly i guess oh yeah um but seamus what were some of your highlights from the weekend what um, was uh, some of my highlights uh yelling beyond at greg miller mm. on the show floor and him turning around looking me dead in the eye and screaming beyond back at me that was, <laughs> that, that was great because so many of the Rooster Teeth and Kai-Fi and Funhouse people they were just wandering mm. the floor checking out games mm. as well so people could sort of chat to them on the go and that was really cool like being able to see particularly for like us um, kind of funny multiple times over the weekend even that mm. a community meetup on the Saturday night Tim and Greg showed up and it was just awesome. They just lots of hugs and pictures and drinks and they even paid for everyone's dinner as well. So that so was, nice. that was really cool. But indie games, there was a lot of really cool Australian indie games there, but also Devolver, um, one mm. of the edgiest publishers in the video game industry. They just have a bunch of really cool games on the, in the pipeline at the moment. And I, there was one in particular that you really enjoyed, wasn't there, Ewan? Yeah, Strafe was uh, was awesome. It's of, of all the games we played, of which there were some really, really great ones as well. Like, I don't want to understate that. Um, Strafe is the one that's kind of really stuck with me. Um, I'm like a massive kind of Doom fan. Um, some of my first FPS games, despite my relatively young age, was stuff like Duke Nukem 3D and Doom and Quake. Um, and uh, and so I kind of have like a sort of element of nostalgia for them weirdly uh, and with Doom coming out last year I thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed that and what Strafe is is a very much sort of Doom inspired game um, very true to the sort of uh, mid 90s polygonal art style um, uh, and it's all procedurally generated so whilst you're still sort of trying to progress through levels and encountering increasingly d more difficult waves of enemies the sort of uh, environment and the the rooms you're moving through are all procedurally generated so separate runs um, uh, are obviously going to be unique um, so I'm really really keen I can see that game being one that I sink a lot of time into or some that one of the kind of games that I, I play whenever I sort of have a spare hour or two um, so yeah that that's one been that's been the one that's really stuck with me and i'm and really excited gore, to just play. as much as gore as the original yeah games. yeah and like heaps of like little secrets to discover as well and uh different weapons and upgrades and unlocks so you know it's got all those same hooks in there um so so dead keen to play more of that one um but what was one of the ones that you played that stood out to you most so another one from devolver which i really enjoyed was runa mm. and this mm. was a top-down cyberpunk uh tactical action uh, game that was like it just as soon as I started playing it the music 
beats the the they actually so it has so much style like the cyberpunk feel mm. and theme just comes through so strong and the mm. combat is actually really cool like you it's it's very basic to begin with like you just have basic weapons like a a baseball bat to hit people and then you have a couple of different guns but it mixes it up a lot by having the special abilities in particular a dash ability that like slows down time and you can dash three times in a row to particular enemies and while you're dashing you can use your weapons like shooting but what I particularly enjoyed was with the baseball bat as you're dashing like hitting people and then you dash the next person hit the next person then again and you build up these combos and like it's all about these combos and it has a similar sort of vein to Devil May Cry where it's like you get those combos up it starts like just being like yeah like it gives you particular ranks and just screams that at you I'm like I just really I love cyberpunk and I love that feel from Devil May Cry and this there was some story elements in it very light but enough to keep me interested so I'm I'm really keen to check that out Runa yeah. it's, a, it's a weird name but yeah it looks right up my alley and it's played in sort of like a almost top down perspective it's kind of like a cross between Deus Ex and Hotline Miami sort of in a way I think yeah um, yeah very similar so if, if, if you like those games or either one of those games uh, keep an eye out for that it looks like it's going to have a pretty sort of elaborate sort of story to it as well so um, definitely a few that were, were interested in there um, as for the panels at RTX Seamus uh, what was one of your standouts for you there? Um, oh man, like the the let's plays themselves were a lot of fun, uh, mm. which it was really cool because they included a number of Australian streamers and YouTubers mm. to get on and do like versus versing like the American YouTubers that were there. Part of recent even kind of funny, and so that was a bit of fun. And they also played particularly. Um, Australian indie games that were there on the show, and that was really mm. cool. I loved how much they integrated like just Australianness into it, and it gave a chance for the indie developers to show off their games, most of which like looked awesome, and everyone had a lot of fun playing. But uh, we're going to talk about the Kojima interview, the two-hour interview yeah. that Greg Miller did with him. Like that was, that was like it was a standing interview. Uh, or panel, which was just crazy for everyone watching. Like my <laughs> my legs were so sore and toned by the end of it, but it was worth it. But my favorite panel um, was the finisher for the weekend. It was kind of funny's panel that was on at four thirty on the Sunday. The convention was set to su- at shut at six o'clock, and the panel was only meant to go for an hour. It went for over an hour and a half, and it was one of the best panels, craziest in regards to just what was happening, how involved the crowd was. Like it was, it was an absolute blast. It was. It was a lot of fun indeed. But let's go back to that Kojima interview that you mentioned because um, there were some interesting sort of tidbits that kind of came out of that um, that are maybe notably newsworthy. And I want to sort of run those by you and discuss uh, what what your sort of thoughts were uh, of that interview. Um Firstly, like, I just thought it was amazing, like, listening to Kojima or listening to the translator speak on Kojima's behalf um, uh, about sort of his, uh, I guess, experience in in the industry, um, going through some of those rough patches that he's had more recently in his career, and then finally his work on on Death Stranding. Um, Was there anything in particular that stood out to you during the course of that interview? Anything that he sort of said that was a quotable quote uh, to you, Seamus? Um, I was actually like the, we were talking a little bit about afterwards, and I was thinking about some of his quotes uh, mm. just earlier today, actually. And like he was talking a lot about how he, when he creates a new game, he wants to change it. He wants to push the medium forward. He doesn't mm. want to just do the mm. same old thing because he doesn't. He doesn't want to just appeal to the same audience. He wants to do something different and bring in a new audience. And if that means losing some of his old audience, like he, he was very much okay with that because he was all about just pushing the medium forward, trying new things, and just just being different. And I, I really like that about Kojima, and I think he really sticks to his guns in regards to that. 
Yeah, I I thought that was fascinating because I'm not someone that's really kind of overly attached to Metal Gear, uh, to the Metal Gear franchise. Um, uh, the Phantom Pain was my my first one uh, that I uh, that I purchased and played, um, but it made me realize that I'm very much kind of that sort of audience that, that Kojima was attempting to appeal to with that game. Like I'm that sort of that percentile that weren't previously sort of familiar with his work. Um, and yet he changed the formula enough to, of Metal Gear so that that fifth game, or well, so in the, so to speak, um, stood, stood out to me uh, and, and made me pick it up. And I'm now someone that's more intimately familiar with his work and his, and his games. Uh, and that's made me all the more excited for Death Stranding, I suppose. Like just seeing the kind of um, narrative workings that Kojima goes through uh, has made me sort of really interested looking at the trailers for Death Stranding. Uh, so I thought that was really really kind of interesting like those same words that that you you identified as being so uh interesting to you Seamus because um it made me realize that yeah he's like very much being able to have that impact on, on on me personally um and it's very much not something that's characteristic to the franchise or or to the industry I should say like you look at the Assassin's Creed games or the Call of Duty games or even sort of FIFA stuff like that they don't do much kind of each year to really sort of appeal to a new audience they're very much encouraging that audience that's already there to sort of buy in once again um and so I thought whilst somewhat radical in in approach i think it does make some some sense because he's just gradually accumulating more players that are familiar with what he does and therefore more interested in what he does yeah Um, definitely like i think if he kept doing the same old thing that he began doing with the first metal gear like he would have a similar audience but it'd be much smaller and the fact that like every game he mm. tries to push and do something different um it grows that audience and has made him the legend where he is like with death stranding it's like we don't know what the hell it is but mm. i'm just so interested by it by the two trailers that have come out and just like how little hints he's giving like he's given like greg even said this it's like kojima you're going around you're talking so much about Death Stranding, but you're not telling anyone about this. And Kojima's like, I just like giving hints about it. I'm like, I love that. Like, it just makes me so much more intrigued by what this game is. And I just want to play it because it, it looks so unique. It looks so different. Mm, mm. And what did you make of some of his comments in regards to Death Stranding in particular? He, uh, he said that, or he assured us that it was a PS4 game. And I think he even went so far to say that the uh, trailers we've seen have been made using... Um, the, the engine, engine running that, on yeah. like PS4 spec hardware, right? I and mean, he said something along those lines, I believe. Um, do you do you, I get, do you believe him? Like, do you think that this is a PS4 game, and are we going to see it on this console generation? Um, I think as part of the deal that Sony would have done to create this crazy game, they would be like, you have to release it on PlayStation 4. Um, mm. Always, it's just ridiculous. No, I I think it's definitely coming out on PlayStation 4. Like he did say that, and working with the engine, the Gorilla's engine that they use for Horizons they're doing, they're actually collaborating on it with Gorilla now to to make it better. I think, like, 100%, it will, it will definitely be coming out on the PlayStation 4. Like, but I um, mean, like, he said that so they're only so far as performing tests on this engine, I know, right? Like, I know. That's, that's super early days. I mean, it, it sounds like they haven't really kind of got any kind of working section of game code or anything like that. Um, I mean, I wonder if they've moved beyond the sort of concept pre-production stage I sh- I at all. I think they have. I think I, I think they have. And I honestly, I have a lot of confidence in them because uh, he took a lot of the developers that he now has in the in Kojima Productions from 
uh, mm. Konami. And just by looking at those trailers, like the trailers are phenomenal, and that they're based on the engine that they just picked yeah. up on PlayStation. And- and his own team hardware. is making those trailers. Yeah, like, and that I, I, I don't know, man. Like <laughs> he's touring the world, giving all these interviews. Like this interview that he did on stage um, was like one of like five interviews I think he did over the course of the weekend. Like, I mean, he, he can't be developing a game at the same time, right? Like this game can't be anywhere near being uh being properly worked on i don't i well, don't feel I, I have confidence in that i look at those trailers i'm like wow they pulled out those trailers so quickly they're so good i think and this team has like decades of experience working on the milky series i think they're just really good i think they just can pump out work incredibly quickly and really high quality work so oh, even mm. though this is early stages i think they have the quality in that team which is probably growing every day uh mm. with funds from kojima and from sony i think it's like They've just got the the expertise to be able to pump out content really quickly, and like I'm looking, I, like when I think of our release, I'm thinking 2020. But who knows? Like in two and a half years' time, with some of the best developers in the industry, I think they could come up with a lot in the two and a half years' time. Like it is an open world game, mm. so that makes mm. me think, like, oh, like how open world is this? Like, is that just the definition of the mechanic? Like, and it's quite a small world where you just like you get to explore, but it's still very linear and story focused I, I don't know we still don't know a lot but I, I have confidence in in Kojima productions to get out on PlayStation 4 yeah and I suppose he did say as well like one of the there was a few kind of select quotes that I I kind of tweeted out immediately just because I guess they they stood out to me uh, and one of those was that the schedule is a positive pressure on me and I and maybe that is that they're they're sort of expected to get this game out um, maybe, you know, 2019, something like that, 2020. Yeah, um, and he, and, al- uh, he and also come, said yeah. that he's got his own schedule. Like, he said that his games yeah. are always on schedule. He's always got that in mind. And so I think he is, like, really on top of it. I think he's got everything already planned out and on on the works. Like, I think, like, they're being quite hush and not really giving us the full details of how far they are into production. They're just like, oh, you know, we're, we're getting there, but they're really, like, just working their asses off to get into to show off something as soon as possible. He really is, like, a superhuman, isn't he? Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm fairly sure that he's, like, the next stage of human evolution. <laughs> he just seems, like, so switched on and just... Just like his mindset and uh, and his direction in terms of working these games and introducing sort of filmic qualities, just like constantly astounds me. And I, like I could listen to him forever talking about how um, how like the symbolic of a the sim sorry the symbolism of a stick um, <laughs> in terms of like pushing people away and then like a rope to bring people back together again. And you know he, he's clearly just sort of very well a well read guy there's a lot uh, going on in his, zany in his ideas. Head. Yeah. yeah absolutely there's a lot lot going on there and i'd love to just like be able to see the inner workings um but uh i was gonna ask like he, he also mentioned um that he's dropping kind of a lot of hints and it's very much his intention to kind of give away hints uh behind the game um based on the two trailings that tra- sorry trailers that we've seen so far um what kind of reading do you have of the game? Like, what sort of direction can you see it taking um, thematically? What kind of avenue see, can you see it going down? That's a that's a very big question. <laughs> yeah, not an easy question. No, I'm, no. To be honest, I'm not sure I have an answer myself. I was like throwing you, that one to you and hoping you didn't kind of like uh, ask me in return. <laughs> well, the Metal Gear series, I've played bits and pieces of it, particularly Metal Gear Solid 3, and... They are very strange games and they push the, push the boundaries of what we 
uh, are, are used to in the video game industry and sure. pushes them in regards to supernatural themes, like particularly the characters and bosses you face are just very, very strange. And I think that will be pushed like even more so in uh, Death Stranding. I feel like maybe mechs might take a bit of a backseat than what they have in Metal Gear. And it'll be more about that supernatural elements and maybe even alien elements from just particularly from the from the first and second trailer now that I think about it, like the first trailer people up in the air floating like and then in the second trailer the the enemy soldiers and the tentacles there on the tank like it's it's so strange for someone listening to this and haven't seen these trailers and just be like what is this guy talking about but yeah <laughs> uh, yeah I think it's gonna be very sci-fi very supernatural um as far as story goes in regards to themes like I don't know it'd be interesting to see what type of themes he'd like to address particularly after leaving Konami and Mm. he also said uh, one of his quotes was he looks at every project as if it's his last so he puts just absolutely everything into it so I I think regardless of what it ends up being like it's gonna be phenomenal it's gonna have uh, so much passion in it and it's probably gonna have a lot of his emotions from these past couple years and this transition into this new project it certainly does seem like quite a dark and sort of eerie kind of game in, in, in many ways. Um, but uh, I wonder if it's going to have like some sort of environmental message behind it, like a, um, animals and, uh, and oil have kind of like had quite a, had a, a heavy presence yeah, in, in both trailers in so far. Trailer, yeah. Yeah, and um, and there's a lot of the time he talks about ropes and stuff, but there's like tubing sort of connecting people. Um, yes, and obviously the sort of presence of the babies, like there's this sort of umbilical cord, this sort of tubing that connects a baby to its mother. Um, and uh, and the he sort of like seems like plug the tube into the sort of oil uh, at, at the at his feet as well, and and there's oil on the beach, and I wonder if there's some sort of a link between li- like oil as the lifeblood for humanity and the sort of environmental destruction that sort of causes um, and also sort of the cycle of life and death as well like you see um, Mad Mickelson's character uh, appear from the tunnel in the second trailer and he's got all those soldiers connected to him somehow um, and then when they disconnect they their skin sort of burns off and they're quite skeletal um, and so I wonder if there's going to be some sort of some sort of allusion to all that. I, I'm sure Kojima, uh, Kojima will take uh, much better care in connecting all those dots than <laughs> I've just done in the last two minutes there. No, um, I, think, I think there's some good points, but I do remember now that, that you mentioned it, that during the interview with Greg, he did say connections was one of the main themes of the game. And the, mm. like you were just saying then, the connections between people. and uh, Yeah, it sounds like connections is going to be a big theme. Yeah, uh, having spent 3,000 words trying to unpack uh, Firewatch, which was only like a three <laughs> to four hour game, I'm very excited sort of digging in and analyzing the themes in uh, in Death Stranding. I'm looking um, forward to the article. Whenever it comes out. <laughs> that know. might be one we collaborate on, Seamus. I'm not Maybe. sure that's a task I'm keen on <laughs> undertaking myself. Uh, but final news piece that I wanted to discuss for today is E3 2017. It's open to the public. You can buy tickets. I think they're selling like the first thousand for about 150 50 bucks, 100, 200 bucks, maybe something like that. These will all be American prices. And then the remaining 14,000 are going to go for 250 US. Uh, so if you can afford that, you can be <laughs> one of 15,000 uh, public members of the public in at E3. Um, Seamus, is this. Does this mean the E3's changed forever? Is the, the E3 as a sort of trade press convention uh, no longer a thing? Well, it's funny because for ages, I thought it was open 
to people. Well, increasingly it has been. Like, they've been giving away tickets in competitions and stuff. Uh, and, you know, that meant that, like, thousands of members of the public were already in there. Um, and, like, it seems to be increasingly easier for smaller outlets as well to sort of get in and, uh, and cover some of it as well. Um, it's not so exclusive, I guess, as it, as it has been in the past. Um, yeah, I think that's how it's been. Yeah, well, it, reading some uh, quotes from a spokesman from E3 talking about, like, they, the way they were looking at it is E3, it is the biggest, it is the biggest convention. So often, often it's the most judged. It's the one, it's like Call of Duty, you know, whatever is biggest people pick on because it's just the, it's just the biggest thing there. And for good reason, you know, it, it being the biggest thing, you know, it's something we have to critique. It's something we want to be better and want to progress. And we've been seeing at other conventions more of the general public coming in because that's a lot of where, uh, mm. People just have general interest. Like people aren't just going to IGN or Eurogamer for their news. They're going for, to it from multiple sources, and that's from uh, Twitch or streaming or YouTube personalities as well. And they started to open up, uh, laying more of those types of people in as well with uh, content creator mm-hmm. badges. But maybe just anyone be able to go in. It just means there'll be that much more coverage of it from just not big media outlets, but from more grassroots level as well. And I think maybe that's something they want to get at E3. But just get the community more involved and make it seem less of an exclusive thing that the industry goes to more of a community event in general and like keep that community feel in the games industry. My only worry is how big is this is this convention set? Because although a lot of publishers mm. did leave and even though EA just went to the other side of the road last year, I, I still feel like it's going to be... like It seemed like it was already really cramped last year, let alone with an extra 15,000 people in there. Like um, that's, that's all I'm worried about. Mm, yeah, it's uh, going to be interesting to see how they sort of cater for everything as well um it's also worth kind of pointing out that uh, a lot of games are shown behind closed doors so only media um and uh yeah content creators as you mentioned might be able to get invites uh, to, to play those um the conferences as well which is obviously where like all the big announcements tend to happen uh will also sort of be um invite only uh so it'd be be interesting but it certainly seems to make sense that they should to directly connect with the consumer um they can sort of circumvent any sort of media uh, involvement, I guess. Um, EA very much went out and tried to do that last year. They weren't at E3. They did their own public event. Yeah, um, and Activision and, uh, just wasn't there at all, and neither was Disney. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and increasingly, like that seems to be the trend. Um, and uh, and and you know, conventions like PAX or uh, or RTX that we just attended uh, are becoming increasingly more successful um, and uh, an audience really seemed to be able to join to get their sort of first hand hand uh, first on first hand hands on experience uh, with the games like that's that's really sort of beneficial for them and I think like publishers and marketers are realizing the power of that as well um, I know part of me is kind of a little sad as sort of like an upcoming games journalist myself. Like it's always sort of been my, my dream to go to E3. It was like this kind of mecca for, uh, for games fans, I guess it was always this really yeah, kind of elusive here. thing. Um, and like, it was kind of always a dream of mine sort of like becoming more involved with, with games journalism that I'd one day be able to go. Um, and you know, maybe it's like a little kind of stuck up to say, um, <laughs> but like, it's, I feel like it's becoming worse like less special um because anyone can sort of go um but hey like you know i i think in the long term it makes more sense for everyone to 
be able to get involved with that. And um, I'm all for making things bigger and getting more people involved. Like, tends to be more the merrier. Um, so E3, already a big show in its own right, to get thousands of fans in there, excited, um, you know, like, fist pumping and screaming and excitement at the game's announcements. That's going to be really special. Um, and uh, and like those sort of good vibes that we felt at RTX, it might contribute to a similar sort of sense of excitement in the air at E3 2017. Yeah, well, um, from, yeah from E3's perspective, it just means like mm. more people talking about more coverage, more money coming through the doors as well. So it may, may be meaning expanding the convention, making it bigger, laying more game developers in than ever before. And I, I'm mm. kind of, I've got a set, similar feeling to you. You're like, you know, it's always been a bit of a mecca, a place to go for everyone like in the game's media. Uh, but like you said, like there's still a lot of stuff behind closed doors. Uh, actual conferences themselves are often like very limited and mainly for media. So a lot of mm. it will still be for people like ourselves with media, uh, for those main I- outlets like IGN and Game Informer. I think that's always going to stay the same to an extent. But I'm like, I look at it from that perspective. Like, I've always wanted to go to E3, and it's just if that, and if uh, like 15,000 more people who love games get to go as well, uh, then that's pretty cool. Hmm. Hmm. I'd still, I'd still like really like to go, even if it was. Like, oh yeah, I still definitely entirely. might go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, do you, uh, do you think it will be one day become an entirely like public event? Uh, like it'll just be instead of like a limited number of tickets, it'll be open for all. Mm, no, I don't. I don't think so. Just because it's such a big event, but there's, there's the convention centers in this world are only so big, um, and mm. I, I think there is a limit to it. And I think we'd be reaching it, even having an extra fifteen thousand people in there. But I've never been in there myself. Like maybe there is heaps more room. Maybe not. I'm not too sure. Maybe maybe we'll find out if we get the chance to go ourselves at some point this year or next year. Ewan, maybe. Mm. Well, if you go. Let us know what it's like. <laughs> uh, and I'm sure it's going to be super, super exciting nonetheless. Uh, and leading up to it, um, still got a fair few months before it, it happens. But uh, we'll be sure to, to talk about our expectations and our predictions for E3 2017. Uh, but for now, let's bring an end to what was episode 88 of The Startcast. Subscribe to us on iTunes or the podcast service of your choice. Just search The Startcast. Be sure to follow Press Start on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Snapchat, Instagram at press.au and join just the conversation everywhere. Yeah. just just everywhere <laughs> if you just roam down the street and you see someone with a press start shirt on fo- no don't do that that would probably be one of us <laughs> uh, join the conversation by tweeting us using the hashtag hashtag the startcast I've been your host Ewan you can follow me on Twitter at Ewan underscore Roxborough joining us today was the magnificent Seamus and thank you for having me it's been a while uh, you can follow me at Seamus Mullins on Twitter and I think so the same actually I think it's Mully2468 on Instagram but I'm going to be working on a number of Aussie in the articles as usual you know what else do I do you and over the over the next yeah. couple of weeks so keep an eye out for them on the site I love that you like uh, it's been a while and I was thinking it's not been a while I mean I saw you just like a couple <laughs> oh, I of mean, days it's, ago it's we been shared a, a bed all weekend <laughs> <laughs> I mean yeah you know having me on the podcast for a while but yeah our beautiful faces have yeah. been on the YouTube just recently I eventually, it eventually dawned me what I said. Uh, yeah. Speaking of Australian indie games, that video that I mentioned earlier with us discussing some of the ones we played uh, is now live. Uh, so you can yep. jump onto Facebook or on YouTube and check that out. It'll be live as of, uh, listen, as of you listening to this. Um, but I'm glad we, we, we primarily focused on the surprise attack games um, that, uh, that we played. Um, and Dungeon League, yeah, there was a few that we... Oh, it's Dun- Dungeon League's published by Surprise Attack, am I getting yeah, that right? Yeah, yeah, that's been They're published all, yeah, by Surprise Attack yeah. Games, yeah. yeah. So Along we, with um, um, Think of the Children and uh, Hacknet Labyrinth, the DLC for Hacknet was there as well. 
Yeah, so we primarily focus on those in the video um, of, of the ones we played. Um, so I'm glad we got around to discussing some of those awesome Devolver games we played as well. We, played also, we also played Absolver, which I thought was really cool. Oh, yeah, that was um, really cool. Just kind of, it was really cool, but just about to us less, I guess, than the other two. Um, yeah, but really, really cool if you're like a Dark Souls kind of fan, I think. Um, just uh, and, and For Honor, if you if you like the look of For Honor, keep an eye on Absolver too, because it seems to be uh, sort of like a really kind of easy Duel, to pick up, hard to yeah. master, sort of Duel-esque fighting online game, melee kind of game. Which, yeah, which you and Fresh me in in the one yeah, game we played against each other. I because <laughs> like because I got to sit down. I think before some of the other guys, I got to go through the tutorial and then kind of like um, learn a few extra sort of things because the the dev came over and sat down and he's like, all right, let me let me show you a couple of yeah, things. Yeah, because you looked so, pro as like. You <laughs> It's my ass. Yeah, like he showed. Me, it was really cool. Like you can kind of like stitch together all these combos and stuff. Like you know how there's like four different stances. Yeah. When you're when in a combo, you switch to a different kind of stance. So if you line up all your your like sets of attacks so that one one combo moves to a different stance, so it then triggers another combo, which ends up in like another stance that triggers another combo. You can basically like play it so you have like four different sets of combos all stack on each other. Um, and there's some like extra timing you've got to do on top of that to get it right. But yeah, there was a couple of times when I was fighting you, I was able to chain all four of my combos <laughs> together. I was like, yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I re- I'm, a new I'm looking forward to all three of those games that they had in the show were awesome. I'm looking forward to playing more of those. Yeah, I'm, I'm really keen. Mm. Anyhow, until next time, thanks for tuning in. Happy gaming. Catch you later.